you seekers, explorers and rule breakers out there. Welcome to another episode of the Alchemy Experience podcast. I am your host, Christopher Lemke, and uh, today I'm bringing you a discussion on conscious partnering. And the person best to discuss this with is uh, the uh, relationship mentor, Ken Bechtel, who I have the honor of uh, having this discussion with today. Relationships is uh, an area I'm certainly still learning a lot about and uh, and I know I'm going to get some nuggets of gold out of this discussion for sure. I'm not going to hold you back any longer, so here's your show today with uh, Ken Bechtel. Enjoy! Okay, hello everybody, I'm here with Ken Bechtel today. Very excited. Today we're going to talk relationship. So uh, welcome, Ken. Oh, it's great to be here, Christopher. Excellent. So, uh, as always, I'd like uh, my uh, interview uh, uh, subjects, as it were, <laughs> to uh, introduce themselves and tell, uh, tell us a little bit about your background and uh, kind of what you do now and how you ended up there. Yeah, so uh, I'm Ken Bechtel. I uh, live in uh, Boulder, Colorado, and uh, I have been doing uh, energy work and relationship uh, mentoring for over 20 years now, um, really focusing on, you know, allowing the individual to come out and be their best version of them so that they can attract things that resonate with them. And uh, yeah, so I've been doing this. I, I actually, people ask how I got started. I actually performed my first wedding when I was in fourth grade on, on the playground at school. You know, these kids came up and said, marry us. And I had never been to a wedding, so I didn't really know what to do. Um, so I just made it up. But I, I ended up being that person in school that everybody came to for, you know, relationship advice. Even before I had ever dated, I would have my brother's older friends be like, hey, I'm dating so-and-so. And they, I, I don't know why they came to me, but they did. And so this is kind of, it kind of picked me. And uh, luckily I enjoy it. So it all resonated and, and we've just developed as time has gone on. Wow, that's... Um... Uh, no, I can totally resonate with that because when I was a teenager, um, <clears throat> these kids would come up to me and kind of share their problems with me. And I'm like, why are you sharing these things with me? Are you so? And they were looking for me to help them solve that. And I was like, I couldn't get it. Uh, but then when I started to you know, work as a coach, then it all dawned on me like, oh my God, this is the energy that draws people to me a lot of times so it's uh, uh it is interesting how at a young age we, we kind of emit those kind of energies right absolutely so that's interesting so um so 20 years you start then you started out uh, quite early in your uh, uh, career as it were is this you know have you always been on the the path if you like of uh, spiritual involvement or um not really i really didn't have any clue what spirituality was i grew up catholic didn't have a clue what energy was or an aura or chakras or any of that um when i moved to boulder actually i got invited by a friend to a a, a spiritual school for a healing night i didn't know what that was either and uh didn't know much about it he talked to me a little bit about it but you know whatever just kind of rolled off my back and then I happen to be in that area every week about the same time. So I'd stop in for a healing. And one day they said, Hey, we teach classes. I'm like, what is this place? I don't even know. 
And next thing you know, I was taking classes, eventually teaching there, and it just went from there. But I was, I was 30 when that started. So um, yeah, it was a total change. And it, it just, it was something that felt so natural. I was thinking about that this morning. When it, when I started doing energy work and, and, and studying that, people thought I had been doing it for years. They would literally go, how long have you been doing this? And I go, doing what? <laughs> and they're like, well, you just do it a reading. I'm like, uh, what's a reading? <laughs> I, I really had no clue. I was totally oblivious. And they're like, you're, you must've done this in a past life or something. Cause exactly. you're that's, what, that's what I was going to say that <laughs> when, when it comes natural to us like that, then yeah. uh, it's, you just awaken something that yep. is deep within. Yeah. No, no I, I remember that's, how I got into energy healing as well. I sat in meditation and just had, you know how it is. It wasn't even a voice. It was just a knowledge or a feeling and knowledge, something that said, hmm, why don't you play with your energy for a bit? I was like, oh, that sounds kinky. Okay, well, um, so I started to, you know, move my hands around my body, mm-hmm. you know, in my auric field. And I could feel tingling sensations wherever my hands were as I was moving energy around. I was like, oh, this is interesting. And when I really started with a, um, uh, my meditation practice, I think it took about two weeks and I had uh, just by meditation and flushing energy had uh, healed my uh, sciatica. Uh, I was wow. suffering from sciatic pain for about a good 15 years. Wow. Um, and it was one of these things that was an aha uh, sensation. But yeah, no, there was so, once you sit down and you really allow things to come up like that uh, with intention, you realize that there's so much wisdom within us that we, we really have no idea that's there unless, unless you go looking for it. So yeah. Um, so yeah, no, I resonate with that, that, that sentiment. <laughs> That's great. Ken. So, I, I mean, from my point of view, i I grew up, uh, very secular. We didn't go to church or anything. We Christian Protestant, but we didn't go to church. We didn't practice anything. You know, we weren't really spiritual in any way. My, my grandmother always talked about ghosts and all that good stuff. And, so when I was a kid, I always had a feeling of being watched and I always felt presence around me and all this good stuff. Um, but I thought everybody did. I was like, yeah. this is all right. I didn't understand because, you know, I could walk up the stairs and I'd be like, okay, there's a guy sitting up behind me here watching me as I'm walking up the stairs and thought nothing of it because it was kind of un- uh, uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. I thought everybody felt that way. So yeah. I didn't think much of it. Uh, and then in my case, I was 44 years old. Yeah, 44. Yeah, when uh, when it all kind of came crashing down around me and I rediscovered myself. So it, to me, it's always interesting when quote unquote, younger people get into it. Because uh, you, are, I would imagine you hadn't really started. You were kind of in the beginning of your career when this now came about. So what were you doing before that career was? I was doing sales and marketing types of jobs. Um, I I actually resisted doing this work that I've been doing now. I I would 
you know, like do it for a little while and kind of have it as an extra thing and never really embrace it. And, and I loved it every time I, you know, really step into it. I loved it. I had great experiences. And then I'd be like, Oh no, that's weird. I can't do that. You know, that, how, how do I make that work or, you know, whatever mm-hmm. I would just resist that. Um, it was funny because people would say, well, you have this gift. And I would, I would be so annoyed by that because I'm like, it's not a gift. Everybody can do this. Yeah. And what I realized though was the gift was that I was doing it. Mm. You know, it's one thing to have the ability, but if you don't exercise it, then it's not a gift to anybody, no. right? It's being wasted, it's being not used. So that was the gift was that I was willing to do that and step into it. And uh, so, you know, eventually my resistance got overwhelmed by my desires and here I am. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, because um, we're all on, we all have our own paths to the the when we when we kind of step onto our mission or our purpose as it were um and obviously that can change from one day to another or how we even when we are aware or we have that awareness of our own uh, past or uh, mission as it were so um so when in your current line uh, you're doing uh, relationship uh, coaching, I suppose. Uh, is that what you call it? or I actually call it mentoring. And, and the reason I say that, Christopher, is, um, you know, I always looked at a coach like an athletic coach, right? They know the plays, they know what to do. And, and you know, they're like, here's how we can win the game. Yeah. And so they tell you what to do to live in that game and win. And when I look at a mentor, to me, a mentor is somebody who's there with you going, how do I bring out the best in you? There's actually a, a instead of going, you do it my way because I know it works. It's going, what is your way? Let's find out. Mm-hmm. Because if it's your way, it'll work. And there's a, um, a football coach, American football coach named Andy Reid, who actually his team, the, the Kansas State Chiefs won the Super Bowl a couple of years ago. And every time I see an interview with one of his players and they're like, why did you want to play for Andy? They're like, cause he brings out the, he puts you in situations where your best strengths come forward. Mm-hmm. He doesn't make you try and do what he thinks the team should do. He goes, well, what are my skills of my players? Mm-hmm. And he's been a tremendously successful coach. And it's like, that's such a different approach than the people go, I know how it's supposed to be. You just fit in my box and we'll make this work. And so for me, that's what mentoring is, is really going, what's going on here? And this is partly the energy work, right? Recognizing what's there and going, well, let's, that's the, that's the bonus here. This, this is the prizes. Let's bring those forward instead of trying to be something you're not because it's a formula that supposedly works generically across the world because we all know that's not true. Well, and I, sometimes I feel when you have that energetic awareness, uh, it's a, almost a, 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 bit of a uh, unfair advantage <laughs> because I suppose when we sit down and we we sit down with the client we already know where where the points are that we need to go to so um, I kind of describe it as a tool of efficiency uh, you, you get through the clutter much quicker uh, when yes. you can uh, energetically connect with someone and say oh well this is probably one of your pressure points isn't it How's this for a trigger? <laughs> yeah. Um, so in terms of relationship, what have you seen as a, shall we say, a um, commonality among, uh, so do you promote, uh, let me kind of rephrase, not rephrase it, but go back one step in terms of a question. 
do you typically work with um, relationships once they are past the point of being a relationship or do you work with them in the recovery phase of or do you work with them kind of helping people as they can go into a relationship or, or do you work with all different stages? Um, great question. And there's actually two areas that I've worked with people. One is somebody who's not in a relationship trying to figure out how to get themselves back ready for that. Mm -hmm. The other would be somebody that maybe they're in a relationship and they're trying to figure out, a, they're kind of in that, should I stay, should I go thing? Yep. Is there a future, is there not? And typically in those situations, and actually in, in both situations, it's a space where the, the individual that I'm working with feels like some, in some way they've lost themselves. Yeah. Like they have put themselves to the side to either try and make a relationship work, or maybe they did that in their past relationships. And they are trying to figure out how do I change this? Cause I know this doesn't work. It hasn't worked for however many iterations and they're ready to go. I need to put me at the front mm -hmm. so I can fully show up as I call it fully bloom. So then I can attract the people that match the real me instead of what I think they want. Right. Cause we, we get taught to be chameleons. Yeah. Right. Match this. Oh, and, and people are, that's one of those interesting things about energy, right? People are really good at matching energy. Mm -hmm. They don't know that's what they're doing, but they're doing it all the time. And then they go and take it the next step and they do it on the physical realm and go, Oh, well, I'll dress like everybody in this circle. I'll talk like everybody in this circle. I'll make these my priorities, even though I don't really care about those things. And we turn ourselves into something we're not, which then makes us go, well, people like that version. So maybe the real me isn't that interesting. Well, that's because we rarely actually allow that real me to be shown. So yeah, we've never tested we, it. We don't know. No, we don't give it a chance. So how how can we know? Um, so, but uh, so I would uh, categorize it uh, that you are in the people that have experience with relationships, uh, kind of at the tail end of it, or. Uh, the recovery phase of it or past the point where they are now single. Um, I, I imagine you don't necessarily work with 20-year-olds something that are, have not been married yet, but uh, are trying no, to it's pretty, become it's pretty better, better, better uh, partners. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty rare. It's usually people that have, you know, had that life experience, had some things go sideways, realized that they, you know, they're tired of not being true to themselves. And they're like, I, I don't, I don't even want to develop a relationship if this is how it has to work. I had a woman work with me once and she said, I'm terrified of starting another relationship because the last one I got out of, I didn't even recognize myself. Yeah. Like I literally was like, who was I in that relationship? Yeah. And she goes, if the other person hadn't broke up with me, I would have still kept doing it. Like I had no awareness I was doing this because I was so attached to the idea of I've got to do whatever it takes. And she was devastated. She's like, I don't even know me. No wonder my friends were like, what are you doing? Yeah. But she couldn't see it in the moment, right? So oh, there's the, a lot of times that's what happens is we know that we've basically abandoned ourselves and we don't want to go forward from that place. So we're like, I got to get me lined up first. Then I can think about going out there because going out there and doing the same thing all over again, isn't helpful and it's you know it's it's one of the reasons why at least in the u.s you know that there's almost a 50 percent divorce rates well the second marriages are 65 percent the third ones are 73 why because we're doing the exact same thing thinking it's going to get different results 
Yeah, we're, we're just. Well, I'll do the uh, exact same right. thing I did before. Yeah. It got me just, a husband or it got me a wife. Well, yeah, but that's going to have the same outcome. Yeah. So, wouldn't it would uh, would be kind of sensible to go to the younger ages and help train them to become better partners in relationships or to become better uh, better at showing up in their own relationships as themselves right so yeah. so are you doing any work in terms of that have you approached that is there have you found any way that you might be able to move into that state of place or well it's a, it's a great question because it's I, i've explored it at different times and i've noticed two things one is when i mean it was the same for me when i was that age we haven't got the experience. We think we're going to get it right. Yeah, everybody else screws it up, but I'm going to get it right. Right. So we don't understand what we're going to run into. So we're thinking, yeah, yeah, you guys just don't know how to have a relationship. I do. Um, I was talking with a, a, a group of, of uh, college students at a sorority. And, you know, they were all like, yeah, whatever, dude. I can find a guy anytime I want. Da, 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 da. And because they haven't had that experience yet. And so they don't understand how easy it is to go down that path and lose yourself and have it go sideways and the pain that comes from that. But the other thing that I've noticed, Christopher, is the most powerful way to impact that you know, younger set is the examples of their parents, yeah. right? So like so many of the people I work with, they're very aware. They're like, I got teenage kids. I don't want them, like all they've seen is a terrible example of what a relationship looks like or what love looks like they're like i i want to be a good example because i know that will make a bigger difference than any speech i can ever give all right so the parents are are the key to solving conscious parenting is the solution is that what you feel well it's 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 i would call it conscious partnering so it's not about i'm doing this because i got to go teach the kids it's i'm going to live my life from that place of, hey, I'm not giving myself up. I'm not disappearing to make somebody else happy. Because this is one of the ways we disappear is everybody else's needs come first. Yeah. And so we don't address ours and eventually we're exhausted. And it looks like, oh, the way you're supposed to take care or be in love and, and have somebody love you back is to be a martyr and give yourself up for them. And there's this whole myth, at least in the States of, you know, if you keep doing and giving to somebody, eventually they'll turn around and give to you. Yeah but that's not how it works. It's kind of like the way I always describe it. It's like, if you think about a chair, right? Like you're sitting in a chair, you know, what are you doing for the chair? Yeah. But you're in a relationship. So the chair's doing the work, the chair's giving, the chair's supporting, the chair's allowing you to relax and be your best. Are you going to get up from that chair and turn around and go, what can I do for you chair? Yeah. Never. No. But that's what we've been taught. Go be a chair. And then eventually they'll turn around and no. And the other thing that happens is what if you're showing up as a chair, I'm going to give, 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 give. Guess who you're going to attract? The people who want to sit down. Mm -hmm. The people who want to take advantage of your giving, not the ones who want to give in return. Of course. And so we've created this dynamic. And then we go, I don't know why every guy I meet does this or every girl I meet does this. It's like, well, that's what you're offering. Because that's what you're, you're, you're putting out there. That's the energy yep. you're putting out. And yeah. And uh, I mean, in my my practice as a coach and hopefully soon a hypnotherapist, 
uh, I do find that everything leads back to an earlier time. So, sure. you know, how we show up in our relationships uh, is based on our own experiences. I mean, I always say that we, we view our uh, current and future experiences through the lens of our past experiences uh, mm-hmm. or the filter of. Um, so in order to change our uh, perception of our experiences, we need to go back and reframe. Um, so, and I always, you know, the best way to change someone's mind is to show up as a good role model. So mm-hmm. clearly, you know, if my parents were, had a good relationship and were uh, conscious par- uh, partnering, as you say, then that I would then see that and I would emulate that in my own experiences. But at the same time, you know, if they perhaps weren't the best parents, then that could then cause me to have bad experiences in uh, relationships as well. So the, the question is, where do we, do we go to the parents and teach them how to be better partners and better parents? Uh, or do we go to the schools and try to work into the curriculum? Uh, like here in the UK, for example, now it's mandated that uh, schools have uh, mindfulness on the curriculum. Wow. So um, uh, I know it's like once a week, I think secondary school have once a week, they have the mindfulness um, uh, classes. Uh, in primary school, I think they do a whole day once a month where they do walking meditations, they do sitting meditations, they do mindfulness practices, relationship practices. Uh, so it's, is that the approach? Do we try to get to the kids like that? Or is the parents, are the parents the gateway to uh, reaching the children? Well, I don't think it's either or, and I think that's fantastic that they're doing that in the UK. We're a long way from that in the US. Um, because one of the reasons why we get, like you were saying, you know, like depending on what our home life was like, that's what we think relationship looks like. This is what love looks like. Giving people an alternative, right? When we're kids, we just think everybody's house is like our house. You go to your friend's house and you're like, that's weird. They didn't have junk piled everywhere in the living room. I never saw a house like that. Well, of course we didn't because our family did it. And guess what? Your parents did it as well. And their parents did it as well. And so it expands our possibilities. And that's how we identify what resonates for us is actually instead of going, okay, I only have five things to choose from. I got to pick the lesser of all these evils as opposed to going, wait, there's a whole world of possibilities what's out there, like your experience with recognizing you could move your hands around and, and, and play with the energy. It's like, so some kid sitting there in class and he's having a meditation all of a sudden he's like, I've never felt this good in my life. Mm. Oh, wow, what is my association? Meditation feels good. Yeah. I'm gonna keep being mindful. I'm gonna pe- keep checking in with me instead of checking in with others. And he starts to learn to connect with what I call his true essence, right? Because when we're born, that's all we have. It's just spirit and body. Nobody's taught us anything. We're totally a clean slate. And then we get all these messages throughout our life. So when you start to reconnect with that true essence, well, now you're going, this is what supports me in being my best. This isn't. And yeah, 99% of the people do that. Doesn't matter. For me, it's the other thing. 
And that's what we have to get clear on because so many of us over time, we've been asking everybody outside of ourselves for our answers. I had a teacher, um, one of my favorite teachers ever, Mary Bell, she would, you'd ask her a question and every single time, never failed, she'd go, what do you think? And you'd have an answer. But we're so trained to think somebody else has our answers. And I ended up adopting that. And, and I was teaching a class and this gal comes up to me and she said, you know, ask me some question. I said, well, what do you think? She goes, you're just like Mary Bell. You never answer the question. And then she went on and told me her answer. Yeah. Because we do have that, but we, we've been taught that we don't. So mindfulness in, in schools is fantastic because schools is a primary place where we get taught that we don't have our own answers. Yeah. So to give them that, hey, by the way, you guys probably know this, what you need already. That's a huge game changer. Yeah. No, it is interesting. You know, you go through schooling, you know, all the way up through a high school where you're really told what to think. And then you go to college and suddenly they say, well, now you got to think for yourself. Like, what? No, I, I can't think for myself, you know. And <clears throat> whenever I start working with uh, new clients, I have two pages, typed up pages with uh, different uh, categories. And I just have questions. Mm-hmm. And I say, okay, I w- before we start our session, I want you to just read these questions and ponder them. Don't need to answer them. I just want you to incorporate the energy of these questions because that's when the work start. The real work starts is when we start asking those questions to ourselves. Yeah. Is this how I'm supposed to feel? You know, am I really on, you know, am I acting authentically from my, uh, my uh, true essence? Yeah. Um, I use that, that terminology as well with, uh, you know, like, I believe that one of our missions in life is to bring our true essence, essence into uh, congruence with our uh, physical uh, expression. Yep. Um, anything in between, that's, that's the, uh, the healing that has to be done. Mm-hmm. Um, the more you heal, the closer you get to congruence. And when you have that congruence, then hallelujah, you're enlightened. <laughs> the, yeah. Then, then you're sex, uh, self-actualized, as um, Maslow would put it. Yeah. Um, so it's it is interesting that, and it is this perpetuation, uh, perpetuation, isn't it? Yes. The parents that have their wounds and their traumas then raise children along the same lines. So they, it's that uh, ancestral karma that we would just perpetuate. Um, and thankfully, we're, the stigma about mindfulness and the stigma of you know, spirituality and so forth is, is diminishing somewhat. Um, I don't know how it is in America, but I think it is there too, right? Yeah, to a certain extent. I, I think it's much more in the UK from my experience. Yeah. Um, much more accepted. And, you know, the, the interesting thing is we get this perception that, well, whatever, I'm 45 years old. It took this my whole life to get to where I am. It's going to take me forever to get out of here. But when we start from energy, there's no time or space. So boom, you can shift that as soon as you want to connect with the energy that is your essence. Yeah. And so it doesn't take, oh, well, if it took me 20 years to get here, it's going to take me 20 years to get out. Well, that's mm-hmm. kind of not too motivating you're like oh, well i bother i'm okay where i am but that's because we think we have to go back and unlearn all the lessons mm. 
right? It's like, if you're carrying a bag of rocks and you're like, this is exhausting. I don't know why I'm carrying this bag of rocks. Well, all you got to do is let go of them. Yeah, just you're no longer carrying the bag of rocks. You don't have to sit there and go, well, I got to go find where I picked them up and put them back where they were. And then I got to come back up here and start all over again. Yeah. That's not how it works. Yeah. It's making that decision going, you know what? I'm going to stop going. I'm burdened with these things from my past. And I'm going to go, where am I now? Where do I want to go? The past really doesn't matter. That's just a way to get distracted from moving forward. I have to go dig it up. I have to go talk about it. I have to go look at it. That doesn't move you forward. And it's this myth that if we know what happened, how I picked this up and where it came from, then I'll never do it again. But that's not true. You've now just fed your energy into it. You're very likely to do it again. What if you just said, I'm done with that. Drop. Now we're going to move forward. And that's really where we have to focus because that's where we can move the quickest, right? Reconnect with our essence, reconnect with our power to create. I always say to people, it's like, when we're looking at our past, we're looking for what to avoid going forward. Oh, look, there's, there's potholes in that road. Don't go down. Just be aware of every pothole. Well, what if you were just aware of the smooth pavement next to the pothole? Because mm -hmm. there's always smooth pavement, but we're focused on the pothole. So if we just go, wait, that's irrelevant. Where do I want to go? I want to go on the smooth road. Fine. So you 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 work more with the solu solution focused brief therapy kind of that approach. See, I I feel that there is so much value in our past experiences because it's what's brought us to where we are today. So in in my work, I tend to look at and people. I feel people make the mistake of looking at the past experiences, what I have to learn about everybody else. But it's really about what you can learn about yourself. Yeah. So if you had a trauma, you know, of abandonment as a child, mm -hmm. then uh, rather than ignoring it, I would rather go back and say, okay, what are the benefits and what are the lessons I can bring from that experience about myself and just bring that forward? Um, because there's some, you know, there's some uh, gifts along the way, um, all the way up through every single trauma and uh, hardship that we've ever had. Um, yes. So in my work anyway, for me personally, it's been very valuable to, go revisit, you know, these traumas, uh, traumas and hurts and challenges I've had and say, okay, you know, go through with the understanding of compassion. It's taught me compassion, uh, acceptance, uh, gratitude, or forgiveness and gratitude. Um, yeah. And with that, then the future is very easy because then I take all those lessons about myself and I now know how I, I've filled both um, uh, containers. And th this is actually something I wanted to uh, broach with you as well. Did a call, did a podcast a couple of weeks ago called, um, we're talking about uh, female and male energies. Yeah. And I, we had a feeling that society tends to want to diminish. So uh, as a man, I'm expected to diminish or lessen my male energies mm -hmm. as opposed to increasing my female energies to balance them out. Mm -hmm. um, and the same for women. Women are supposed to 
less uh, in the workplace, they're supposed to lessen their female energies as opposed to increasing the male energies to, to make you more complete. They're, they're actually hoping to, for you to deplete. Um, yeah. So it's a, just a, um, a different way of looking at it. Um, so now when we show up in relationships, oftentimes we show up where with someone that holds more of the energy that we lack. Mm-hmm. So from my point of view, I think if we can actually increase our, you know, the energy that we are insufficient in, then we will then attract uh, a partner who is also filled up the aspects that are insufficient in. So that you, you are becoming more of a complement uh, for each other as to be, uh, as to to each other right mm-hmm. so what, yeah. what are your thoughts on that Ken? well this is a great question but i want to circle back to, to what we were talking about a second ago and then i'll, I'll get to this one so yep, your yep. comment about going back and looking at you know the, the, the things and experiences and learning from them i 100 agree with that and what i was saying is most people go back and they look at the potholes and blame the potholes mm-hmm. instead of going oh i had a choice and i didn't make it yeah. Oh, next time I'm going to start looking at the clean road. Mm-hmm. It's not about the potholes because there's always more clean road than there is potholes. But if I keep focusing on potholes and going, I have to avoid potholes the rest of my life, I'm going to see potholes everywhere I go. Sure. So I think we're in alignment there. And, and I, I just wanted to talk about that for a second. Yeah. No, I appreciate that. Thank you. Yeah. So your comment about you know male-female energy. Um, and, and I just want to make sure I'm understanding what you're asking. As far as if we show up as our best version, whatever that is, combination of male and female, instead of going, I need somebody else to help me replenish or energize, let's say the masculine, I just go, this is my combination. This is my very, this is my recipe, so to speak, Mm -hmm. right? And I always look at it like a, a, a restaurant, right? If you went to, I don't know, let's say an Italian restaurant and everybody you knew raved about it, oh my God, it's the best thing. And you didn't really like it. Well, the restaurant person isn't going to change their recipes to make you happy. They know that there's people that resonate. They'll have those people. And the ones that don't, we'll go find another restaurant that works for them. Absolutely. And that's owning that we're lovable. In the case of the restaurant, we're a viable business. And there's going to be people that resonate with this. And the people that don't aren't your customers. It's no big deal. No, absolutely. It's the same thing in relationships is if we start going, I have to be something for someone else. That's how we lose ourselves. Yeah. If we just go, look, what is the best version of me? The way I always use the analogy of a rose. Like if you think about a rose, there's kind of three stages. There's the dormant stage where it doesn't have any blooms or blossoms. Then there's the bloom or the blossom, buds, I mean, like you're starting. And then there's the bloom. When it's dormant, it's really not that interesting, right? It's just a thorny green plant. Nobody really stops and pays attention to it. When it's got buds, it gets our attention, but what do we say? Oh, I can't wait to see that bloom. Mm. But when it blooms, it stops people in their tracks. Yeah. That's when we're connected with our true essence. We're blooming. Now, roses don't bloom because of you. They bloom because that's who they are. Yeah. They can't not bloom when they get their needs met. So this goes back to what we were talking about earlier. If you're not getting your needs met or you don't even let yourself have needs, it's impossible to bloom. That'd be like a rose trying to bloom without ever getting water. It's not going to happen. As much as it wants to, it yeah. can't do it. 
So we've got to go, this isn't about the other, it's about ourselves. Yeah. What do I need to be my best right now? I don't know what it is. Each day, it could change. Like you were saying, things evolve, right? Continually. So we're checking in. This is why connecting with your energy of, wow. And a simple way to term energy is your emotions, your feelings. Mm-hmm. They're not thoughts. I think I'm mad. No, you're either mad or you're not mad. You feel mad you, if you let yourself, but we've cut ourselves off from that because feelings aren't rational. We can't necessarily justify or explain why I feel mad right now. I used no, to you, you can't control your feelings. No. When I was a kid, I was terrified of the dark. There's nothing rational about being terrified of the dark. I love the dark now. I seek it out. But back then, it was scary. Yeah. I can't explain it to anyone. Why is it not there anymore? But it's not. So again, we don't trust our feelings because we can't rationalize it. And it's the same as not trusting our essence. Hey, this is how I feel. This is me trying to bloom. I need this to bloom. Well, I can't explain why I need that to bloom. But think about a rose. A rose never has to explain why it needs the amount of water it needs, but you want to see it bloom. So you're like, you need that much water? Let me know how much. So I'll give it to you so you'll bloom. That's our job as the rose's partner. So if we're a rose and we're clear about what we need, now we can attract somebody who's like, hey, I want to see you keep blooming. Bing, you just found your partner. Yeah. But that, that part of being the optimal version of, of ourselves that I find in a way oftentimes is filling up that cup, your own cup and filling it up. So I, at least for myself, I found that you know, as a man, I'm expected to uh, behave in a certain way mm-hmm. and to, um, you know, not be sensitive. I'm expected to be this or that. Um, but when I, and I, I followed that, those, the, that framework for a very mm-hmm. long time. And when I finally turned around and said, you know what, I am sensitive because I am sensitive to energy. Yeah. And it's it's not a um, it's not a shortcoming of mine. It's actually a superpower. Exactly. And when I can use that superpower for uh, mine and uh, the benefits of others, that was an amazing revelation to me. But with that sensitivity also comes that I need to know my emotions. I need to know a what sensations in my body belong to me and what belongs to others and what is uh, you know any emotions that come up within me I, can, I don't control them so I just need to observe them and allow them to be and to kind of uh, rise out and above and away from me mm-hmm. um, it's the thoughts that either generate the feeling or the thoughts that perpetuate the feeling those are the ones I can control Mm-hmm. So that, those are the ones I observe and I say, okay, is this a thought that uh, is part of, uh, is, sits well with my true essence? If it's not, then I choose to think something else. And I, the choice, I always say, is another superpower. It's like the first superpower we realize. Mm-hmm. And uh, for a lot of people that have sudden awakenings like I did, when you realize that choice, uh, your, the choice is yours, you get yeah. pissed off. Yep. 
A, you get pissed off at yourself because you knew you had, or you realized you had a choice, you know, for all of these years and you didn't, you made the choice, the, the choice that wasn't really uh, congruent with the, what you wanted to be. Um, and then also you get pissed off that when you realize that nobody else is <laughs> paying attention to that choice either. Mm-hmm. Uh, so people are run, running around sleepwalking. Um, and then you get to the point where you accept that that's how life is, right? So it's um, it's that realization of choice, right? But I think, and I suppose I can only speak for men in general, we, we're expected to be, you know, this stoic, non-feeling, kind of take it on the chin, suck it up. And that's, we're not allowed to have any of those feminine energies within us that are expressive, uh, emotional, you know, we are emotional beings after all. So that's why, I mean, once I filled that side of me up, um, you know, I am a soul having a human experience or physical experience. So my true essence is equal man and female energy but in this lifetime, I'm having a male experience. Mm-hmm. So that's part of my characteristic. And uh, it's uh, so that's why I mean that balancing out those two energies. Right. Yeah. I, I think, you, I mean, like you're coming about, you know, the expectations for the masculine or the feminine, it doesn't matter which yeah. side, right? Like you made me think of this as you were talking. So I'm not a small guy, I'm 6'3 and 210 pounds. And I would have people come up to me all the time and I'd say, oh yeah, I do spiritual work, I do psychic work. Well, you don't look psychic. (laughs) And I'd be like, what does that mean? And that didn't change what I was doing, but they may not be able to have me as that person in their world because they want somebody in flowing robes who's, you know, wearing crystals on their forehead or whatever. Mm. And that's what they're looking for because that allows them to go, that's possible. That's viable. But this person looks like a normal business person. Why would he, he can't possibly be able to do that. Hmm. And this is the key for all of us is to go, okay, so there's going to be some people that think that this doesn't fit. They're not my people. Yeah. Or they may be, this is making them, as you said earlier, which is so important, that makes them look and go, maybe this is okay. Maybe I can do that too. Cause I was always saying I couldn't because I don't wear flowing robes and all this, but if I can look like a regular person and connect with my energy, well, then I'm in. Mm-hmm. And where I used to study uh, here in Boulder, uh, Psychic Horizon Center, there would be people come in and literally go, hey, you guys are normal. Because it was regular people. We had yeah. doctors, we had engineers, we had teachers. I mean, it was the cross-section of the population. They were expecting to walk in and see a bunch of, you know, woo hippies or something. <laughs> And, and Boulder's a very hippie town. It's known for that. So it's like, not surprising. And they were just like, oh, well, then I can come in here. It's okay. Um, so they had to make that choice, right? But sometimes, you know, we choose it for ourselves and go, I really don't care what the world is expecting of me because I'm more committed to being me than what they expect me to be. And your comment about, you know, the, the masculine being stoic and so on. It was always fascinating to me because 
there's always expectations placed on us by people, right? They see you and they go, oh, he's this, or this is what we can ask him to do or her to do. And I remember whenever I would be helping somebody move or whatever, they just assumed I was the brute force. Oh, he moves refrigerators. Nobody ever asked me to organize, to plan, to anything else, because look at him, he must be the brute force here. And it was always fascinating because that's what we do. We, we minimize people by giving them labels instead of going, hmm, who's Christopher? Who's Ken? I want to actually see who you are. And again, this is energetic. When I was in, uh, I was in Uganda a few years ago in Africa, and it was so eye-opening because when you would meet locals there, they would go to shake your hand and they'd use both hands and they'd really be looking at you and they'd be like, hello. And you know, at least in America, it's like, hey, how you doing? And you're pulling your hand away. And I would find myself naturally pulling my hand away. And they haven't even started greeting me because they're really seeing me. Yeah. And it was like, wow, that's a greeting. That's and it was most like, people that would oh, be uncomfortable. Oh, yeah, it was uncomfortable. Yeah. Because I was like, oh, well, first I was uncomfortable. I was embarrassed that I had already tried to pull my hand away. <laughs> but secondly, it was like, wow, this person is actually really saying hello. Yeah. They're not just doing some cursory, oh, this is what we're supposed to do. Hey, how you doing? Nice to meet you. Nice to you know, whatever. They're actually connecting, right? Yeah. Saying hello They're to looking me. Looking straight into high. your soul. Exactly right. Yeah. And measuring the metal of the, your energy, as it were. Yeah. yeah. And, and that's interesting because I think that's how it used to be. Um, you know, at least I know from coming from Scandinavia, from Sweden you know, the, the Viking traditions of the spirituality was very much everything evolved around this idea of a person's, how a person was, you know, loyalty and, you know, all of these things like you. you so it's, uh, it's interesting how we've lost that with quote unquote modern religions. Mm. Um, well, <laughs> problem with my pronunciation today. Um, religion so it, I suppose that's to me is the challenge when you put someone else between you and your spirituality um, yeah. you, you kind of practice through uh, by proxy as it were yeah. as opposed to having a direct relationship and experience when you experience it within yourself mm-hmm. um, so now in terms of relationships i i've come to understand that i need to finish doing my work as it were before i go into the next relationship um so to me it's it's really solving the divorce rate i suppose comes down to a couple of things but one of them is to really be prepared and basically deal with your own shit before you drag it into someone else's life, right? Would you agree on that? Well, that begs the question of what's the finish line? Well, there is no finish line. (laughs) So then you just decided that I'll never be ready for another relationship if I have to be finished. Oh, in terms of that, right. Uh, Well, that's it. You know, are we, is it uh, become Buddha or Jesus? Well, that's true. Yeah. No, it's, uh, I, I suppose, deal with most of the, <laughs> the baggage. 
Well, it's, it's, it's to me, it's not dealing with it in the past. It's being right. willing to deal with it as it comes up because it's going to come up. Right, right. Right. And going, so hey, so this is my reality. This is right. my my experience. This is what happened in my life. I don't sit here and act like it didn't. I don't, you know, make it a bad thing or a good thing. It's just what it was. It was an experience. Yeah. I'm learning from that. Like you said, you know, I, I, I often say it's like when somebody gives you a, a gift, let's say it's your birthday and they give you this, you know, beautiful box. It's all wrapped up with a bow and wrapping on it and everything. And when they hand that to you, you're like, oh, they just gave me a gift. So you think that's the gift, but then you take off the bow and the ribbon and open the box and inside is the actual gift. In that moment that you recognize the gift inside, everything else becomes trash. Yeah. You have no problem throwing it away. But initially you thought the package was the gift. Right. And to your comment about finding the gift in your past experiences, well, we think whatever the, the relationship with this person was, was the gift. That's just the package that brought you yeah. the life gift that's inside. Oh, absolutely. Right. And so when we can do that, then we go, yeah, do I have past history? Sure. What are the gifts I learned from that? What are the things I learned that, hey, I want to be aware of this and not just go, that doesn't count. Yes, it does count. I have proof. So it's, so it's more the. It's, it's being ready to be real mm. as opposed to be in denial. I always say to, that, you know, we're co creators with the universe, with the divine. We're not co avoiders. No. The universe doesn't even know how to do that. It's all about creation. So when we can go, oh, cool, I've learned this. Now I can take that and help me to create going forward. That's when we're ready to take our own inner authority and our power, right? If we're sitting there going, oh, wait, I have to wait till all this is fixed. We'll never get anywhere. It's, it's kind of like if you went to a restaurant and you ordered dinner and let's say you ordered whatever, a steak and, and, and lobster. And you're like, oh, I can't wait to have this. And then halfway through the time you're waiting, you're like, I'm not ready for that. And you leave. Well, they're going to bring out your meal because the kitchen thought you were ready for it. And then you said, I, 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 no, I'm not ready. Yeah. And this is what happens with life, right? We're like, oh, I want to have this partnership. I'm so excited. The person shows up and you're like, I'm not ready for that. Well, that's funny because the universe thought you were. I but we know. get caught up with our ideas of what's perfect What's my finish line? What if they find out I've got you know, thorns on my rose? Every rose has thorns. There's, there's no way around it. But what happens as soon as that rose blooms, you don't even notice the thorns. You don't care. No. And if you prick your finger on a thorn, that's just the price of the rose. It's not, oh, then I throw the rose out. You go, oh yeah, I gotta be aware there's thorns. Mm. But this bloom, so who cares? Yeah. It's worth it. But so we get focused on, I have to remove all the thorns before yeah. I can bloom. And that will never happen because roses have thorns. It's just the way life is. Yeah, I like that. That's, um, that's very to the point and beautiful. So it's more about being committed to being self-aware and committed to being aware of one's own process, as it were. And uh, that is, that, that's, that's the finishing line, isn't it? Yeah, it's well, the finishing line is being committed to, to being fully expressed. Yeah. And part of fully expressed is, hey, dude, part of my expression is my thorns from my past. It's part of it. Right. That's a reality. I have an ex. I have kids from another relationship. I have traumas of different types. We all do. Mm. Nobody comes through this unscathed. But instead of it's your comment about, you know, having that compassion and gratitude and forgiveness and acceptance. Hello. That's what we have to do with our thorns. 
so that we can go, those thorns aren't going to keep me from blooming. Because what does a thorn actually do? A thorn's there to protect the, the plant from pests. Well, without it, it would be at more risk. So it's actually not a bad thing. It's required for this to have the chance to bloom. Yeah. So we've got to just go, hey, I'm committed to being my best in whatever situation. Now, that doesn't mean I'm the best of all times every day. That means, hey, today, maybe I'm having a lousy day. But what's the best I can bring forward? What do I need to actually show up as the most I can bloom right here, right now? Yeah. Tomorrow, it could be everything's grooving and it's like super easy. But today, I might have higher needs because it's not going that way. Yeah. That's, it's a very much, and this is why it's so energetic, right? It's in the moment. It's not, I decide it once and forever. This is the six things I need and I'm done. That's what we'd like to do, right? Yeah. We never have to do it again. But no, it's an ongoing evolutionary process. Oh yeah, no, uh, I do recognize that, and you know that's why I practice as well. So um, I suppose I dug myself a bit of a hole there. <laughs> it's so no, easy, it's, Christopher. That's what we get taught, right? Yeah. Get to X spot, and then you'll be good forever. Yeah. Well, the only X spot we're the same forever is when we die. Mm -hmm. Then we quit having the physical experience. So whatever that was the day you died is that's not going to change. Yeah. But up until then, it's continually shifting. Yeah. It's continually living as opposed to waiting to die. Um, mm -hmm. Well, so that, that does bring up a, a, um, another point that I wanted to discuss. And it's something I've uh, discussed in a couple of uh, podcasts now is uh, the concept of spiritual bypass. Um, <laughs> are you familiar with the concept I take it? Oh, yes. Mm -hmm. Yes. So it's something that we we definitely deal with in uh, uh, coaching or mentoring. Uh, you're looking for a book there? I'm looking for the book because I know I have it here somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> so it's, but it is something that is very interesting to me because yeah. the more I learn about it and understand it and incorporate the defense mechanisms, as it were, to ending up in spiritual bypass myself mm -hmm. uh, because I've been there, done that, don't need to do it again. Um, but I see it all over the place, uh, you know, among spiritual people, among business leaders, politicians. I mean, it's not, not only people that are on the spiritual path that practice it, you know, it's anybody who's, who's got some sort of an ideal and then go into uh, something and totally give that up in order to fit in or whatever it may be or uh, you know practice some sort of ego um, so in terms of relationship uh, what, what's what's your take is does everybody in or everybody who's sleepwalking are we uh, or did sleepwalk did we practice spiritual bypass in our relationships or Oh, interesting question. So me... we're always trying to be the perfect parent and the perfect partner, right? And mm -hmm. we we tend to put ourselves in a bit of the the victim space if someone show someone says, "Oh, uh, you, you're being a bad partner," and it's like, "Well, no, I'm not. I'm doing this and this and this." and but I'm being, uh, I'm not getting enough on this side. So therefore, 
I'm trying to compensate here. You know, what, what's your what are your thoughts on that? Well, I want to. I just want to make sure we're on the same page. So, yep. can you give me your your definition of spiritual bypass? So, the spiritual bypass, uh, in its original concept, I suppose, uh, is when someone's using one's spirituality to uh, avoid dealing with. Um, their shit basically <laughs> to put it concisely yeah yeah so perfect and we're, we're on the same page because the way i look at it is if you focus on understanding versus embodying mm -hmm. that spiritual bypass oh i've read all these books i can tell you all about how to approach these things or work with energy or da -da -da. but i don't do any of it i don't actually do it in my life but i understand it well the problem is when we understand things, whenever we get into a stressful situation, that's gone. And we go back to our instincts, whatever we've embodied. Yeah. And now we're back to those things that have nothing to do with all the understanding that we have. And I, I uh, had a guy, this is years ago, I was running a, a, a bike shop in Washington, DC. And I had this kid come in to, to interview to be an assistant manager. And this is way before I'd even heard of personal development. I didn't know anything about it. I was in my twenties and, and, this kid comes in and he's got his resume and it's, he lists on there. I've read over 300 personal development books and he names all these authors, Zig Ziglar and Tony Robbins and all this stuff. And I'd heard their names, but I didn't really know much about their work. And so I said, well, that seems to be really important for you. So like, what have you taken away from those books that have changed, you know, that you've applied and it changed your world. And I didn't know what I was really asking, but I was like, well, why is this so important? He's read 300 books. So I asked him, what, what have you done with this? What's, what's like a key thing? And he goes, what do you mean? And I said, well, I mean, you've read all these. There must be some reason. I don't understand the question. <laughs> and I said, well, why don't you go back and figure it out? Like, what is the thing that you've applied from this? I don't know what it is. I've never read these books. And then come back and we can have an interview. He never showed up again. He was believing that just reading somehow made him at a higher level when it wasn't actually changing any of the way he was operating in the world. The knowledge made him wise. Yeah. The knowledge was like, oh, it's kind of like if you learn how to, uh, you know, speak a foreign language, but you never actually speak in the foreign language. Yeah. Well, then, so that didn't change your world. That didn't change your life experience. And we've all got that, right? People, foreign language is a great thing because people say, oh, I'm not very good at it. And so they defer to their native language when... I'm sure the person who doesn't speak your native language would be happy for you to try their language and you know we'd work back and forth but we're like unless it's perfect and you use that term right the perfect parent the perfect part i don't do it at all and this is part of the in my mind the spiritual bypass part well to be spiritual is to be perfect i'm somehow evolved and you know more actualized and whatever and therefore unless i'm there i'm not anything I don't give myself any credit incrementally, no. right? So it's an all or nothing type of thing. And we're so good at focusing on the one time we screwed up that we don't give us any credit for the 90 times that we got it right. Mm. And then we go, yeah, yeah, but there was that one day I was meditating and I couldn't get my mind to quiet down. So I suck at meditation. And it's like, huh? But we were taught to put more value, more weight, on the negative experiences than on the positive, right? You stub your toe, oh my God, this huge thing happened. Well, the rest of your body's totally fine. 
Yeah. But you're like, the whole world's over. This is terrible. The day's terrible. Why is furniture here? Oh my God, the world's awful. It's all conspiring against me. And all you do is stub your toe. Yes, it hurts, but it didn't make everything else bad. But that's what we're, we're trained to do. It's self-preservation. So in, in relationships, we can show up with, uh, because I think the best way of avoiding it is to understand what is my uh, true essence and what's my authenticity and what's my motivation for my thoughts, my words, and my actions. Um, and once you're committed to understanding that I am an imperfect uh, being and I'm okay with that, I, mean, I accept that, but that you're striving for the optimization of yourself, that's when you, you, you are going to avoid spiritual bypass, uh, I feel, because then, then you're always checking in with yourself and saying, am I, how am I reacting? How am I acting? How am I thinking? How, am I judging? Am I, is my thought process judgmental right now? Mm -hmm. um, and you're always checking in with that. So in a relationship, that would be the same thing. If you, if you have a, um, a discussion that then turns into an argument, and oftentimes we do it from the, it becomes an argument or screaming match or whatever because we are defaulting to our, our programming, as you were saying, Ken, mm -hmm. that we, it becomes a defense mechanism. I've, yes. I know, it's all based on fear that my status in this relationship is about to be threatened. I better defend it as opposed to being committed to that mutual evolution as a couple, right? So would that be a, a fair thing, a fair, fair way to describe a spiritual bypass in a relationship? Yeah, and, and I think it's a great way to describe it. And I think the other piece of that is, again, because of the idea of a finish line, right? There's a spot and once I get there, everything's good. Yeah. It's the same thing with marriage, right? There's the myth of once you say I do, you don't have to work on it anymore because you said I do. We're all good. It's going to oh, be yeah. you know, <laughs> happily ever after. That's what's going on, right? Well, there's a reason why all those, you know, Disney movies and stuff that we watched that gave us that idea don't show you anything after the wedding. That's the <laughs> end of the movie because it would blow up the whole myth, right? Yeah. If they went, oh, and then they went back and then they had squabbles about the kids and where they were going to live. That doesn't, nobody wants to see that. We want to believe the myth. Yeah. So it's about being present with what's going on right now. What I always share with my clients is the most important question you can ever ask yourself is what do I need to be my best right now? Not forever, yeah. right now. Yeah. And when we can do that in partnership, well, then we can let them know, hey, today it's this, tomorrow it's, I don't know what tomorrow will be. I'm not there yet. Yeah. But I can be honest about where I'm at right now. And that takes a lot of, of being authentic, being vulnerable. Hey, I'm having a lousy day. Hey, I need some extra, I need some extra attention today. Or yeah. I'm feeling like a rock star. I don't really want to talk about it. Whatever, right? All of those things are being true to what we need to be our best. That's the only thing we have control over. We can't control our partner's reaction. So a lot of times people go, oh, I just learned this new thing. That'll get them to do this. <laughs> no. 
That's manipulation, my friend. <laughs> yeah, that's, not, that's not what this is, right? And it's funny because one of the things that I work with people on is to be curious, right? And instead of making yeah. up stories, guys, that we do, and it's questions. Everybody listening, here's how you can tell if you're making up a story. If you say, oh, I think Christopher wants this, that means you're making a projection and extrapolation. Did Christopher say that? Well, no, but he said this and he said that, and therefore this. No, 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 no. You don't get to decide what the therefore is, mm. right? So if instead you really get curious, go, hey, Christopher, I'm curious why that was, you know, what was a good reason for this or why that's important to you? That's different. But if you start trying to use curious as a way of manipulating, because you're really just wanting to find out something you can use against them later, mm -hmm. guess what? That's not an integrity. And they'll quickly not listen to any of your curious questions because you just taught them you can't be trusted that you're yeah. manipulating, right? And we do this all the time because we're so afraid of the truth. We're afraid, oh, wait a minute, because our instinct has us wondering, right? It's our instinct. We don't have any physical representation. There haven't been words said, but we're like, I don't know, I think there's something going on here. That's your instinct, right? You get this intuition. And then your fear is, what if I'm right? Oh, crap. What if that is true? So it's kind of like a rock in a hard place. Your intuition is the rock. The possibility that the answer might not be the one you want is the hard place. I know how to fix this. I'm going to dismiss my intuition. There went the rock. There's no more pressure. And I'll never find out, but I'll just guess. Yeah. Because I don't want to really know. Because what if I'm right? Well, wouldn't that be good to know? Because otherwise it's going to torture you. It's going to torment you. Right? So this is where being in the moment I feel like there's something else there. I'm curious what's going on. You're trusting that space to show up as your best self. Yeah. I had a, a, a gal that was on my uh, podcast years ago and she did one of the coolest things. She said her and her husband have this thing. I think they call them truth moments. And what they would do is at any time in their day, they could tell the other person, hey, I, I, have a, I, I need to have a truth moment with you. And of course, the other person would say if they could listen right then or whatnot. But what a truth moment went was they just spoke their truth with no outcome expected, no response needed, nothing. They just needed to express something so they could express it. So, you know, she could walk in and, and say to her husband, hey, you got a second, I need a truth moment. He might say no. She's like, okay, let me know when. He goes, hey, what, you want to do a truth moment? And she says, you know, that thing you did last night really made me feel sad. No attachment. He doesn't have to discuss it. He can, but it's not required. And she said, here's the result. There is zero resentment in our relationship yeah. because we never feel like the other person didn't let us speak our truth yeah. there's a safe space that we've identified that we can go that's all this is you don't have to respond there's no other agenda to it i just need to say this because otherwise it will percolate yeah and i will get tormented and i will eventually blow up so it's basically i call it being your own bomb squad just get rid of that bomb before it blows up yeah but i i think Relationships are really valuable in terms of working on our own stuff if we're willing to, right? So yep. I listened to one of your podcasts and I'm not going to even try to remember the person, uh, your guest's name, uh, but you're going to tell me in a moment uh, where, you know, the idea of uh, don't miss a, uh, don't waste a good uh, trigger, right? And who was that? Azita Nahai. Okay, thank you. So now we give credits as well. Good. <laughs> so the uh, 
And the concept of, and I, I do this with my clients all the time. I say, you know, they, they turn around to me and say, oh yeah, this pissed me off so badly. I said, well, what did you do then? Well, then, you know, I decided, you know, I decided to uh, start an argument or whatever. Okay, well, A, you made that choice, right? You made that choice to get angry. You made that choice to hold on to the anger. Um, so now, instead, why don't you, if you get triggered, also just observe how your emotions come up and allow them to exist and observe your thought process. What, what's, what are the thoughts that come up that are looking to perpetuate you holding on to this feeling? And then say thank you to yourself. Thank you for the opportunity to experience this so that you can learn something about yourself. Because once you say thank you, then that's going to deflate any emotion, negative emotion, because you're bringing in that positive thank you, right? The, the gratitude, the feeling of gratitude. And you also open the door or the doorway to reveal breadcrumbs to the point of the original sensitizing event. Mm -hmm. When was the first time you experienced the fear that is underlying to the trigger? Because yeah. in my experience, it's all the triggers are always uh, have an underlying fear, whether mm -hmm. that being fear of uh, you know not being enough, fear of uh, being judged, or whatever it may be. There's always a fear, and that fear has an original sensitizing event. When was the first time you experienced that fear? So I love that concept. And I really try to impress that with my clients. Like, if you get triggered, say thank you. Because you have a great opportunity. And, and relationships are full of them, those moments, aren't they? So when you talk to your clients um, about that, how to, in conflict, conflict management, I suppose, or con conflict resolution, how do you work through that? Uh, how and do they successfully navigate that uh, minefield, as it were? Well, I think the biggest thing is, like you said, when there's a trigger, well, that tells us there's something there, right? It's like, oh, I had a, a, another guest on my show um, used a great analogy. She said, you know, if you put lighter fluid on charcoal on a barbecue grill, it doesn't do anything. It just sits there and evaporates and it's gone. The only reason it does something is if there's a spark. So something blows up, that doesn't mean that the lighter fluid was the problem. It means there's a spark inside of you that caused the lighter fluid to blow up. Mm -hmm. So it's like, oh, I got triggered. Opportunity, like you said, what's going on? What's that about? Now, naturally we like to go to the other person. Oh my God, you're so this, you're so that, I'm blaming you. Because then we know, oh, I don't have to face that. I don't have to look at that. You made me angry. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you made me anything, right? And that's, that's, again, it's the difference between owning our power to permanently change something or just survive that moment. And we're so strong at survival. And this is the thing about survival. Survival is an instinct, right? Mm -hmm. And what's an instinct about? Self-preservation. Guess what? There's no room for partnership when all we care about is the self. So if we're operating from survival, if we're operating from our instincts all the time, partnership's impossible. Yeah. We're wired to only take care of us. Mm -hmm. 
So if we're afraid to go, I want to get rid of that fear, we're just going to keep going. And then you'll be like, we never feel like we connect. Well, you won't ever allow anything to grow from this, right? Because, and that's, again, it's one of those things. If I'm going, oh my God, that triggered the fact that I've got a thorn on my rose. Oh my God, he's focusing on my, on my thorn. No, you are. You're the one that's going, this thorn's horrible. I knew that would be the problem. I knew he'd never liked the fact that I was married before. He'd never, whatever it is, right? Mm-hmm. That's not really it. It's the story, like you said, that you've put on that experience of yours. I had a, uh, I can't remember who said this. It was such a brilliant comment. They said, if somebody slaps your face, physiologically, the actual pain, neurological pain is gone in like three seconds. All that additional pain is the stories we've attached to it. Why do they do that? I can't believe they did that. They must not like me. They must disrespect me, whatever this story. But the physical pain's been gone. Yeah. So everything else we're just making up. But we're blaming that other person for it when really it had nothing to do with that. Right? What That was the trigger that made you go, there's all these other things. And that's what you're saying. That's the gold mine. It's there. Oh, my God. We just found the map to the gold mine. Mm-hmm. Let's go see was, what that's about. I think it was Matt Kahn who said, you know, if someone comes up and slaps you in the face, say thank you. <laughs> because it reveals something. It allows you to reveal how you uh, react to that situation. Yeah. Yeah, and you know it's not <laughs> how often is it that you get slapped in the face? Not very often in my case, anyway. <laughs> yeah, sure. not during COVID, but uh, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> but it's um, it is interesting also that we are taught as at least in my growing up, you know, the, the idea of having emotions was oh that that's uncomfortable. That's not something we want to do, you know. Mm-hmm push that down you know uh, just uh, uh, suck it up buttercup kind of thing Um, and uh, so therefore we don't have a we don't have a dictionary of our emotions so when something comes up and someone says oh how are you doing oh I'm not feeling well why is that I don't know that we should if we're feeling mentally something is bothering us, that should be right there in the list of things we learn at school. You know, right up there above math and English is emotional intelligence, right? Being able to pinpoint this is sadness, this is anger, this is bitterness, this, you know, this is disappointment, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, do you see that our how much does emotional intelligence play into, or the lack thereof, play into the, the lack of uh, ability to deal in partnerships? You know, that's a great question because I, I look at it as, like you were saying, like culturally, the masculine is typically told that, you know, just be stoic, don't have any emotions, you're supposed to be this neutral body. And the feminine is told that their emotions are too much. They're too emotional. Mm-hmm. So they're too emotional. We're not emotional enough. Obviously, nobody's happy with our emotion level. No. <laughs> so your, your comment about language is, is so key because um, I remember I was uh, years ago, I was engaged and we were doing some premarital counseling before we got married. Um, and the, the counselor asked me some question. I don't even remember what it was, but she was saying, how do you feel about that? And I answered her and she goes, that's not a feeling. 
And I went, oh, you're right. And she, five times she had to ask me before I actually got to feeling. I had all these other words like awesome, good. Those aren't feelings. It was like, wait a minute. These are the words I'd use to describe feelings. They're not actually feelings, but everybody accepts them, right? They're these little surface brush offs. Oh, I'm good. Good is not a feeling, right? It's like, that's not a feeling. What's the feeling? Well, I feel safe. I feel healthy. I feel whatever that is. But it was fascinating because I was like, wow, I had no idea how many layers of protection I had for my feelings and how hard. I mean, I sat there going, that's not a feeling, really? That's, that's what, what's a feeling? Like, I don't even know feeling words. And it was really, I mean, it took like 10 minutes for me to figure out what the feeling was behind. And it wasn't a really intense question. No. But I didn't have the language, like you said, because it's been made so, uh, I call it unsafe yeah. right, to have feelings. Like you're going to be shunned, you're going to be judged, you're going to be somehow ostracized for feelings when feelings are the most natural thing in the world. Yeah, uh, growing up, I mean, I was being an empath and sentient. you know, mm -hmm. I had the double whammy, so... If I had a penny for every time someone said, don't be so sensitive, uh, I'd be uh, retired by now, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and so, yeah, no wonder, you know, you go and stuff every possible emotion that comes up. You stuff it so far down as you can. Mm -hmm. um, and then you end up in a relationship and then someone says, well, you never show me any emotion. Or yeah. you're so... And then when you do show emotion, it's like, don't be so emotional. And that, you know, then triggers all sorts of <laughs> an avalanche of childhood adolescent trauma that comes up, right? Yeah. So, yeah, or so, when we finally do, because we've been bottling it up for so long, it's solely disproportionate explosion. Oh, sure. And people are like, what's that? And of course, you don't want to go, well, well I've been bottling this up for 25 years. Uh, so we just go, well, you did this. I, I had a, uh, the, the gal I was talking about, my fiance, we were living together and, and I pretty much did the, the cooking and stuff because I liked it. So I would cook and, you know, clean up the kitchen, whatever. And one day I walked into the kitchen and she was in there and I had put a cup on the counter. Now, I pretty much did the dishes too. I just, I'd like doing that stuff. And she goes, she just goes off about this cup on the counter. And I'm like, okay, I do the dishes. So what, what's this really about? Clearly it's not about the cup on the counter. That's not going to affect you one bit. No. And instead she left the room because whether she was conscious of what it was or not, it was so not okay, not safe to go there that she just went into this. I'm just walking away from this, which is what a lot of us do, right? Yeah. Instead of going in and going, what's the gold in here? We go, let's change the subject. Let's get out of here. We're all really good at that. Right? Let's, let's change the subject. Okay. Well, it's no big deal. I always say to people that like, you know, we sweep it under the rug. Well, the, never mind then. But the problem is nothing actually fits under the rug. No. Like look at a rug that's got something swept under it. There's a lump. So now I start looking at my partner and all I see is all these lumps under the rug that they're standing on going, see, <clears throat> there's all these things and I've never said anything. And now I'm resentful of you because you won't let me say that. Right. But a lot of times it's assumptions. Yeah. Well, it's because we're afraid to go there for ourselves Yeah. and go, oh, I shouldn't have this. This shouldn't be here. I should be perfect by now. Yeah. And if I show that I'm not, well, that equates to unlovable. 
So I can't ever let them know that I have issues. I can't ever let them know that things are coming up for me, that they're triggering these things or that, you know, we've got to talk about this or whatever it happens to be. What's the impact? And actually that brings me to the point of uh, the impact of loving or not loving oneself in the relationship. Um, I, clearly there is an, <laughs> an obvious answer to it, but what, what, what's, the, what's your take on it? Can you be in a relationship and love yourself and uh, not be successful uh, and vice versa? And can the other person love themselves and you don't? Is that what you're saying? Uh, well, I suppose if I show up in a relationship and you know I, I have a healthy level of uh, uh, compassion and love for myself, mm-hmm. um, and the other person does as well, uh, you know, is that a recipe for a good relationship? Well, this is you. You said the perfect word, right? We want a recipe. Yeah. Well, you know what? If I go buy a cake mix and I put this much oil and that many eggs in, it will work every time. Yeah. But guess what? There's some people that can't make that work, can they? There's right. people like, I can't make a cake. It's the same mix with the same right. ingredients. How come you can't? I don't know. Right. So there but, is no recipe, even when we simplify it. But what we have to look at is going, again, it's not I came into this like this. Mm-hmm. It's I'm committed to continuing to be like this. Right. So the thing about commitment is it's not a one-time experience. The commitment is, hey, I'm committing to being my best self. And whenever I fall off that page, I recommit. It's a continual recommitment. So it's just like, hey, we're both in a healthy space and we get together. Great. Awesome. Who's to decide what that is? Right. Right. If you're meeting somebody to go, oh, I have a questionnaire I'd like you to fill out so I can see if you're in a healthy self-love space. Well, that's called lead harmony, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> no, that's three hundred question. Uh, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. But it's the it's the uh, the the idea of self love is that important for a healthy a healthy ingredient or an important quest, uh, important ingredient in a healthy relationship? Yes, but I want to be clear about how I define self love. So self love, yes, most people think self love is I love everything about myself. But you know, everybody's got something. They don't like their nose. They think they're eyelashes are too short, whatever. I mean, there's all kinds of stuff we do. Whether we admit it or not, we all have something. So then we think, well, I don't really, because there's this thing I don't love about myself. I don't completely love myself. Completely loving ourselves. Self-love is that commitment to blooming. Going, you know what? I'm going to do whatever it takes. And this is the thing about our needs. Like if you think about, um, there's a difference between needs and wants. Most people get crossed up on those. They think they're the same. So needs are things that if you don't get them, you will be compromised. It'll reduce you in some way. Wants are just like, that'd be nice, right? That's a bonus. So the way I describe it is, let's say you were sitting in in your living room and your partner walks through and they're going to work and you're thirsty and you go, hey, hun, would you get me a glass of water? And they're like, I can't right now. I'm late for work. I'll see you tonight out the door. Well, you probably go get yourself a glass of water because it's a need. You're not going to sit there and go, well, I guess I'll just die of dehydration because nobody would get it for me <laughs> you're committed to have you're going to get that one way or another it's a need it's required now let's say same situation partner walks through 
you're sitting there and you notice you're really kind of tense. You're like, hey, would you give me a shoulder rub? And like, hey, I can't right now. I'm, I'm headed to work. I'll be right, you know, I'll see you tonight. You probably don't go get a massage because it would have been nice. I want you to rub my shoulders, but I don't need you to rub my shoulders. No. And we do this all the time, right? So again, it's, it's going, well, self-love is going, I'm going to make sure I have the things I need. Now, the wants are bonuses, and we can get those whenever we want. We can go there and ask for those and look for those. But self-love is going, I'm going to make sure I'm blooming one way or another, whether my partner is being able to do that and you know contribute to that. If they're not, they're not capable, like in that case where they had to go to work, they weren't capable of doing it right then. Hey, no problem. I'm still going to take care of it because I'm committed to being my best. I'm not going to sit there and just go, well, when they come back tonight, I hope they give me water because until then I'm not drinking. <laughs> That's not what we do. But what happens is we believe that we're supposed to sacrifice us for the other. Mm -hmm. That's where the self-love goes out the door. I don't really care about myself as much as I care about you liking me. Yeah, because if, if I don't have that love from you, my love is not worth as much. I'm not worth as much mm -hmm. as if when you love me. So it becomes a coping mechanism, and I hang my love shingle uh, a shingle on on uh, on yeah. on your nose, kind of thing. Um, yeah, we're looking for their acceptance. A, a great line I heard was, "If you if you live for their acceptance, you'll die from their rejection." Yeah, that's a good one. Appreciate Which is exactly the truth, right? Oh my gosh! Unless they like this, it's not okay. Yeah. Well, you know what? They're not going to like everything. Like nobody does. No matter what you do, there's still going to be some things that don't work out. So it's like, okay, but can I like that? Because that was my best offering. I brought so, the best I could right now. So to so me, that's the self-love component is your commitment to yourself to go, no matter what, in this partnership, I'm going to commit to being my best. I'm going to be in support of you being your best too. But that's on you to know what you need if you need support in that or help in that let me know if i can do it absolutely if i can't i'm supportive of you finding that another way yeah but it's about us taking care of us and it's an ongoing thing just like that rose yeah it's going to need water again tomorrow and the next day and the next day it's not one time i went oh i got to self-love i'm done but that's what we want right look at all the stuff you see on tv and on the media and on the internet Get this and be there in 30 days. Yeah. <laughs> None of them say, and you'll have to keep doing it the rest of your life. Yeah. Because that's not what we want. We want instant gratification and we want it to be a finite destination. So it's not so much about self-love, but rather commitment to self-acceptance. Is there a difference? Um, acceptance and love? No, I suppose. Well, love is a feeling, and acceptance is a uh, is a uh, motion. I suppose it's something you commit to, or is something you do, rather than something. Yeah, but you there, I think it's a component, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I love what 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 you were talking about earlier—the compassion, acceptance, and gratitude, and, and and forgiveness, because that's really going. Hey, I can love me. Like I can have compassion for whatever path I took in the past that maybe wasn't ideal. I can forgive myself for those actions. I can have gratitude for what I came from there. I can accept that I am who I am and I'm responsible for how I got to where I am and where I am right now. And I'm also responsible for where I go. Yeah. Like that's 
owning, I'm not right or I'm not wrong. This is just where I'm at. And because I, right and wrong are all comparisons. Yeah. No, and I, I love what you said before about the, the uh, constant commitment mm -hmm. to the process, right? Or the relationship or to oneself or whatever it may be. I, I make the uh, four agreements with me, myself every day. You know, mm -hmm. I, I do try to do, I do my best every day. You know, yep. whether my best is different today from tomorrow to from yesterday, right? Um, and, you know, I always try to use my words impeccably. You know, what, does it pass the filters of, is it true, is it kind, is it useful? Mm -hmm. And then, you know, that, try not to take anything personally, but rather look at it, you know, because if I react to something, or if something triggers me, that means I have an element of what triggered me inside of me, yeah. you know that which that person holds, I have an element of that inside me. If I didn't react to that, or if, if I didn't react to it, then it, wouldn't, it doesn't exist within me. Mm -hmm. And then I'm fine. Right? And to, like we were saying before, not to um, assume, they, assume anything about anybody else. You don't, you don't bring on that uh, assumption that you know some, someone's story or the end, therefore, <laughs> the end of the therefore statement, right? Yeah. So is is the um, is that something you incorporate into your practice when you talk to your clients? Is what uh, to uh, do, to make those four agreements uh, with themselves every day? I don't work with the four agreements specifically. I mean, they're okay. fabulous. It's one of the best, you know, kind of formulas that, that I think is it's it's such a great um, tool for awareness. Mm -hmm. Right? Like you said, some days it's I do better than other days. And that's going to happen. You know, it could be some hours I do better than other hours. It's, yeah, it's, no, absolutely. Yeah. So it's like, but if you're checking in and you're going, but I'm being conscious of that, am I doing those things? That's how I want to live my life. And it's just one of many ways that we can choose to do that. Sure. But the biggest key with all that is, as you well know, is it's taking ownership of your life. Mm -hmm. Hey, I get to decide. I get to do this or not do this. Not somebody else did this to me. I mean, we've all done that. Everybody's always, we've all, I mean, we get surrounded by blame. I used to say, well, I still say, you know, America went through this whole thing of we're the best, we're number one. It's like, yeah, the only thing America's number one in is blame. <laughs> it's part of the reason why we're so litigious. Yeah is, oh, well, who can I blame for this? I had a, uh, in college, I spent a, a, a term studying in Austria, in Salzburg, Austria. And one of the host brothers, the family I was with was in med school in, in Vienna. And he had spent the summer in the US and it still blows my mind. So this guy's in med school, he goes to the US and he's visiting a friend and they walk, were on somebody's farm or something and they had a sign that said no trespassing. And he goes, what does that mean? And the gal goes, well, like if somebody came on our property and you know hurt themselves, we can't be sued. And he goes, what's sued? I'm like, you're in med school and they haven't taught you about lawsuits? That's the first thing they teach in America is malpractice. Yeah, doesn't make he sense. He had never even heard of this. No. And well, he's it like- It's well, in England, but not- uh, Yeah, but I mean, again, it's, it's that whole idea of blaming, right? Yeah. All blaming does is give away your power. 
right? So we have to, again, check in. Okay, am I doing what's right and aligned with me? And that's why I love the four agreements and you know many other formulas like that because you find the one that resonates with your essence. Mm-hmm. That's the language that makes sense to me or that's the formula that makes sense to me. Yeah. And then we go, how does that show up for me? What does that look like? Being impeccable with my words. What the hell does that mean? Yeah. Some people it makes total sense. Other people are like, I don't get it. Great, then that's not your recipe. No. Right, so you keep going, but you don't go, well, it's not that. Everybody said that's the one, so I guess I don't have one. Yeah. <laughs> and it's easy to do. That's another form of spiritual bypass. There isn't something for me. Yeah. Somehow I'm uniquely flawed or uniquely evolved or whatever. But again, this is us checking in with us and going, so what does work? Or am I still interested in looking? Or do I just go, well, guess I'm screwed. Poor me. Nobody wrote the book for me yet. Yeah. Well, that's what we have to write the book for ourselves, don't we? Bingo. Yep. Right. So um, do you do you find a common platform that you work out of? Uh, you know, I I have some elements, you know, choice is a big thing. Uh, the four pillars that I work with, you know, as I described before, the com- compassion, acceptance, uh, forgiveness, and gratitude, four agreements. You know, these are some of the the uh, the elements I use as a platform when I talk to clients, and they they do find it boiling it down to the the simple essences of life. Uh, sometimes makes it a lot easier to rather than look at the complexities of life uh, makes it easier to say, well, if I work with these tools, then I really don't need to look at the complexities, but I know I can find my true essence in every single uh, situation and I can then trust myself, right? So is there a platform you use in your practice like that? Or is it, do you take it uh, very much like how it comes with every single client. Yeah, it's interesting because I think everybody develops their own, you know, foundation or formula that they work from. And, and you know, for me, Christopher, there's there's a couple of things. One is there's the energy work, right? Being aware of what's going on that way. And excuse me, the, the other thing I really focus on is if you look at yourself as a rose, well, what do you need to blossom, right? So, you know, if you think of a rose, they need water and sunlight and nutrients and, and, you know, enough space in the garden and that kind of thing. And what I parallel to those are, you need to be clear about what do you need? What are your needs? You need to be able to set boundaries around those needs to respect yourself. You need to be able to express those needs and you need to have the belief that you're lovable. Because if you don't, everything else goes out the window, right? So we've got to connect with, is there anything there that's between you and feeling lovable? We all have programs, right? I mean, I've had countless people be told things like, you're too ugly, nobody will ever love you. You're too sloppy, nobody will ever love you. I mean, all kinds of stuff. And sometimes it was just an offhanded comment. I had one woman who was a surgeon. And when she was a little girl, she was at a family function and you know, she's maybe five years old and somehow she got the ear of like all the ants and they were all listening to her and she was all excited. And as she walked off, she heard one of them say, oh, she's so silly. And she took that to mean she's stupid. And so here's this woman who's a surgeon that has more training than pretty much anybody you can imagine. And she goes, I still feel stupid if anybody I'm interacting with 
is like at the time she was dating a guy who was a college professor. She's like, I feel stupid. And it had nothing to do with the reality, obviously. Okay. But she had that between her and feeling like she could really be lovable. Like, why would anybody want me? I'm stupid. So we all have those programs, right? We have different messages we've gotten and then we've internalized them and made them great big things and maybe totally misinterpreted them. Like in her case, chances are her aunt was just being like, oh, look how cute and silly she is. Not yeah. she's dumb, but she misunderstood that, that comment. So again, it's, it's looking at that foundation. I call it the foundation, right? It's like, if you're building a house and you don't have a solid foundation, it doesn't matter what you put on top of it. Wow. It will crumble. There's no option. It's going to fall down. It's like trying to build a house on a pile of sand. Mm -hmm. It doesn't have a chance. So we've got to get those pieces in place so that, and it's not a my way or the highway. It's, hey, this is how I'm choosing to live my life. I'm committed to being the best version of me. I'm committed to blossoming in every area of my life. And I'm looking for somebody who wants to partner with me. That doesn't mean they do it for you. That means that they're like, yeah, absolutely. I want to see you keep blooming. How do we yeah. do that? Because I'm committed to blooming myself, right? And that's where you have both people that are really interested in partnership as opposed to going, oh, I just want somebody to take care of me. Or I just want somebody who's, you know, always going to put my needs first. That's not partnership. No. Then you become the chair. Exactly. Or you're looking, looking for a chair. <laughs> yep. Exactly right. Okay. Are there any, uh, any other elements that you work, uh, work from as it were? Or that's, that the the, that's the ones that are universal. Yeah. Right. And then obviously, like we were talking about at the very beginning, looking yep. at what's appropriate for each individual based on where they are and what's going on. Yeah. Um, and, you know, sometimes it, it shows up in different places, right? Uh, one of the most common things I hear, and I'm sure you do too, is how come I can do these things in like my professional life and I'm terrible in my personal life? Yeah. Right. Oh, well, then we already know you're capable. So now we need to leverage that and go, how can that still be okay and safe in a personal life? Because yeah. you have the skill set, you've been doing it for years. But something has been put in there, a program that says, no, 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 don't do that personally, though. You can right. do that with an employee or a coworker or anybody, else, but when it comes to your personal life, don't do that. And that's interesting. What's your opinion on uh, showing up in different characters? So being one person in your private life and another person in your pro professional life, what's your opinion on that? Is that part of the human experience or is that, uh, you know, should we strive? Obviously, everybody's going to do whatever is appropriate for them. But for me, if I get to a point where I'm authentic enough that I can show up the same way in any given uh, situation I'm in, mm -hmm. then, that, then I've achieved something for myself. What's your thought on that? You know, it's, it's, a, it's a great question because of the fact that, you know, every environment's different, right? So maybe the reason you're in the profession you're in is because you have a skill set or an ability or an energy that you bring to that mm -hmm. that isn't the one you want to live with every day all the time at home, right? It's right. like, oh, I'm this get it done, make it happen kind of person. I know how to motivate people, so on and so forth. Well, I don't want to come home and be like, let's motivate the family and let's go have dinner. 
that I don't want to bring that energy in. So we shift according to what works. Now, the key is not to shift to be what is expected, but to be who we are. Because that's one of the things that's funny. Work is such a great example, right? Somebody puts up a job description and we go, do I fit that? As opposed to, oh, do I have the skills to provide the outcome? And now I need to let them know how I can do that. What supports me in doing that? I had a client who was a, uh, an attorney in uh, actually in Luxembourg, and she had the opportunity to you know move up in the in the organization, and she goes, but the problem is they like the person who has that next position. They they run all these meetings. We have global offices, and so there are you know people all over the world, and they do meetings at like seven in the morning to try and accommodate these different time zones. Mm-hmm. She's like, I am not a morning person. Like I barely can stand being in those meetings, let alone leading them. I know I wouldn't be able to do that. And so I said, well, let them know. She's like, I can't tell them that. I'm like, well, yes, you can. Cause you're telling them you're committed to being your best. If you get this position, here's what will be required. And if they're okay with that, great. If not, you're not the person. No. So sure enough, she goes to the interview and she says, Hey, you guys probably noticed I'm not the biggest morning person. I would not want to have meetings that I'm running start before 10. And she goes, the, the people interviewing her were kind of like murmuring to each other and like, you're absolutely right. Yeah, we can do that. We pick a random time to do those. But if she'd assumed that had to be the way it was, yeah. she would have, you know, excluded herself from that opportunity. Yeah. And instead they're like, yeah, we, we know you're not a morning person. We just pick those times for whoever. So you'd get to pick how you want to do those. Boom. Now it's a match. Yeah. But then she goes home and she doesn't, you know, stand up for what she needs because she needed to build that muscle. She'd kind of let that atrophy. Mm. And so in her partnerships and her relationships, she would be like, oh, it's okay. No, I'll put up with that. And she knew she did this. So again, it's, it's, I always say it's kind of like we have the muscles, just like in our body, we have muscles, but if we don't use them, they atrophy. They're not gone. They just haven't been used. Yeah. But that's the part of authenticity. I think if you, you know, if she, expresses her boundaries at work mm-hmm. uh, at the same level she's expressing her boundaries at home that's her being authentically herself uh, now she might have a different kind of energy at work as opposed to home yes. because you know as you say we, we may need to you know work might need a higher level of energy as opposed to home where it's more of a mellow energy right yeah, but that doesn't take away the authenticity of the person. The the person is still the same. You can still, your boss can still expect the same um, same boundaries from you as your husband or your wife, right? Yeah, and but, what it really comes back to is that's that commitment to being the best version of you in any situation. Yeah. Now, what that takes is going to be different in different environments, but it's like, oh, well to use your word authentic, right? I'm being authentic here. Now that doesn't mean the things I need in my work are the same things I need at home. But in either case, I'm owning that I'm the one in charge of being authentic and letting people know what I need so that they can either be in or out. Yeah. And that's where, again, we come back to going, if we just keep measuring what do I need to be my best right now, that's all we really have to ask ourselves. Yeah. It's not about compared to work. It has nothing to do with work, you're at home now. So what do you need here? I, I uh, had a gal I dated years ago and she was a C-level executive for this company. And, and uh, 
we were going to get together and, and I, she called me like 10 minutes before I was leaving the house. She's like, Hey, I, I ran late and uh, I'm, I'm not home yet. Can you, you know, pick me up in an hour or something? She goes, I need some time to, I think she called it transition. And I'm like, sure. Yeah, whatever. So anyhow, I pick her up in an hour. Everything's normal. A couple of weeks later, she was late, but she forgot to call me. So I literally got to her house like a minute after she walked in the door. So she comes and, you know, I come into the house and I am not kidding you, Christopher. She was so different. I literally, I thought she was sick. Right. I'm like, are you okay? Is something wrong? And she goes, she starts laughing. She goes, oh, this is that work version of me. I told you you didn't want to meet. <laughs> because she's in the super intense space of get it done and do this. And, and it's totally different person. Oh. And she goes, that's why I have to, I know for myself when I meeting somebody, I always have to have time to come home and transition out of my work mode and into my, you know, more relaxed personal life mode and it was it was like night and day and oh, i just started laughing i'm like you weren't kidding and she's like no no i i always tell people you don't want to meet the work me it's super <laughs> effective in work because that's what we're expecting that's what i'm there for yeah and it's not like she's not a personal person at work it's just there's a different requirement on her right it's what she's agreed to provide in that organization yeah no yeah. and she's like that's i don't want people to have to deal with that version of me it's perfect for that space yeah it's the last thing i want to bring home yeah so she had tremendous awareness of what was her authentically and what how did she want those two different spaces to look that's interesting yeah no i, I suppose it to me it would i would choose not or not choose to do that because i i find it too complicated if anything else you know too draining um i want to be able to show up the same way at work as I do with my children, as I do with any relationships. Mm -hmm. uh, granted, you and I work with relationships, you know, mm -hmm. coaching or mentoring is to, you, you build a relationship with, um, with your client and you work that to help them to achieve what they need to achieve. And yeah. so it's, it's a little bit different as opposed to running a, fortune 500 company i suppose <laughs> yeah i mean obviously there's a corporate environment that we may may not be defining yeah right? so or like if you're a teacher well there's an environment around the educational world that's different than the one you're going to probably have at your house so sometimes we have control of that sometimes we don't but yeah to your point it's like what what's how do you show up best in those places yeah right it's well, just i mean let's talk education well different schools have totally different energies to them yeah. So that means what we all know, all jobs aren't created equal. Well, yes, I'm a teacher with those qualifications. I could work at any of them, but which ones align with me? Yeah. Which ones are going to be supportive of me and going, oh, well, I like to do some things that are a little off the cuff and this one's super rigid. So that's probably not the place for me, even though it'd be a great job, look good on my resume, et cetera, et cetera. We have to go, but what really is going to be supportive? Because otherwise it's not sustainable. Yeah. No, and I, I suppose if you look at the workplace, uh, there are relationships that you work through as well. Absolutely. Um, you know, whether it's a loving or a, a romantic relationship or a work relationship, it doesn't really matter because they, they are, you, know, you are co collaborating and co elevating and cooperating. Mm -hmm. um, and you need to make that relationship work for both parties, right? Mm -hmm. um, so, and that could be for another conversation, but, you know, I, 
work a lot with when it comes to the corporate. My, the, the kind of goal of my uh, work that I try to do, uh, both with individuals and corporations, is that, um, to help them rekindle or find their passion. Mm-hmm. So that's the, the essence of, um, or the definition of my, my uh, goal, if you like. Um, and I think the lack of passion in corporate is the challenge. That's where we, that's the breakdown of the relationships because people tend to, when it becomes all about the money, then the goals become disparate. Mm-hmm. If you go there just for your paycheck, then you have no interest of making sure these relationships work. Yeah. Um, and the, the motive becomes purely selfish. How can I make this work for me to protect my, my paycheck, et cetera, et cetera. So uh, that might be a, a good, uh, good uh, conversation for another podcast if you'd be up for it, um, sure. because it's uh, definitely something I is dear to my heart to uh, help. Because I think that that's part of the, um, it's going to be part of the paradigm shift is when people show up at work and say, you know what, there's no passion here. Yeah. I want passion when I, you know, I want to be able to engage and really stand behind what this company does. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think it's kind of shifting towards that. But on the relationship side, Ken, how, if people want to work with you, how do they uh, get in touch with you? Uh, it's pretty simple. You can just go to my website, which is my name, kenbechtel.com. And, uh, you know, you'll see a thing say work with me and then you can set up a time for us to connect or there's a, a little webinar there gives you a little better understanding of some of the things that I do. Um, so, yeah, that's that's really the best avenue is the website, kenbechtel.com. Excellent. Well, it's been a pleasure. And I think we managed to dive quite deep, uh, as I always like to do, and bring some philosophies around. And uh, it's certainly been an education for me in, in terms of the... Uh, uh, you know, relationship strategies, I suppose. <laughs> and uh, things I haven't thought about, so I'm sure our listeners are going to uh, have the same value out of it. And um, I appreciate you showing up here today, Ken, uh, authentically yourself and uh, sharing of your experiences and your expertise. So we thank you. Thank you very much. Now it's been a pleasure to be here. I appreciate you inviting me to be on the show. Absolutely, my pleasure. Have a good one, Ken. All right, cheers. Wow, there were so many puzzle pieces that fell into place during that discussion and uh, broadened my mind to think from different perspectives on uh, relationships as a whole, whether that being romantic relationships, friendships, business partnerships. I suppose the only difference is what the intention is and what you're co-creating together. They are in the end all relationships and uh, relationships you approach from the same point of view to make them work. And the rose is just such a beautiful metaphor for many things in life, whether that being how we view ourselves, how we evolve, how others see us, and so forth. So thank you, Ken, for that metaphor. It's uh, one that is very useful in many aspects. Thank you. So now if you want to work on showing up as the best version of yourself, certainly uh, take advantage of our 30 minute free consultation that we have at the Alchemy Experience uh, workshop, coaching workshop. So 
I invite you to go to thealchemyexperience.co.uk and on every page you have a button at the very bottom of your screen that will say uh, schedule a 30 minute uh, free consultation and I look forward to speaking with you then. In the meantime, have a great one.